Good afternoon to you all. Very welcome to uh, our session of the retreat on this third day, reflecting on the theme to be a disciple of Jesus today. And on this third day, we're looking at God and our relationship with God. I ask you to remember in your prayer as well, Father Pat McLaughlin, uh, one of our redemptorists who died suddenly this morning in Belfast after celebrating the Mass. He was the first redemptorist to take me out on a parish mission after I got ordained. And he was a wonderful man, just 66. So we pray for Pat. It's fair to say that none of us likes to admit to being vulnerable. We associate vulnerability with feelings such as being weak, fragile, powerless, defenseless, with the fear of being exposed, all negative associations. It's a feeling that many of us in the religious life and the priesthood have experienced all too painfully as a result of the church-related scandals of recent decades. The fear of being falsely accused, the shame of being tarnished by association, the guilt we have felt. There was a sudden dizzying shift from a situation in Ireland where the clerical colour or religious habit conferred almost automatic respect on the wearer to one where the colour or religious habit were regarded by many with suspicion or even hostility. A traumatic tumble down the hierarchy of respect. In the early episodes of Reeling in the Years, if you ever watch it, Roman collars were prominent in the VIP section of the Hogan Stand on All-Ireland Final Days. In the last 20 years or so, they have all but vanished. A metaphor for the vanishing and the tarnishing of the collar and the veil. But perhaps these scandals arose precisely because, as institutional church, we neglected to, to be vulnerable. We were the church triumphant, the church complacent, smug, aloof, self-satisfied. The clerical church in Ireland had tremendous power and influence Politicians deferred to us. Trade unionists doffed their caps to us. Governments made sure to have the hierarchy on their side. De Valera consulted extensively with John Charles McQuaid in writing the 1937 Constitution. Noel Brown's 1951 Mother and Child Scheme was effectively scuttled by the bishops. Parish missioners like the Redemptorists were respected, honoured and feared. When church people spoke, 
they conveyed little sense of humility or doubt. There was no need to be humble because we were perfect in every way. In our individual and corporate desire to look strong, cohesive, authoritative, to be rock-like, we facilitated the conditions which exposed our weakness and sinfulness. Pride precedes a fall. Our failure to be vulnerable left us shamed and exposed. Having neglected to be vulnerable in the past, we have no choice now but to be vulnerable today. In this context, it's worth reflecting on our conception of God. Who is God for us? What kind of God do we worship? Is our God someone who is immutable, dispassionate, in control? Or is our God a vulnerable God? Our idea of God will shape the kind of people we are, the kind of institution we build. If we see God as vulnerable, then we must develop an outlook and an ecclesiology based on the risk-taking vulnerability of God. What would it mean for us to allow ourselves to be vulnerable, personally vulnerable, institutionally vulnerable? A vulnerable church would look and act quite differently from the one many of us knew in the past. As Tom Roberts in the National Catholic Reporter wrote recently, imagine the seminary recruitment brochure that highlighted vulnerability as a quality the institution treasured and hoped to develop in those who applied. Vulnerability as a main quality. Jesuit Father James Keenan of Boston College suggests just an approach. He proposes that what we need and what we should promote is a culture of vulnerability as a path to a servant church that would have a servant priesthood and servant religious and a servant episcopacy. The God of the scriptures is a vulnerable God. The God of Jesus is a vulnerable God. T. H. White, in his book, The Once and Future King, uses the image of the human embryo. The human embryo is about the most fragile of creation. White describes the human embryo as the bearer of human vulnerability. It's a remarkable vision, for behind this decision is the assumption that we are made in God's image, and that if we are vulnerable, like the human embryo, then so is God. Father Enda MacDonough shares the same insight in a book that he published in around 2005, Vulnerable to the Holy in Faith, Morality and Art. 
He suggests that God is revealed as vulnerable by the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem, his life in Nazareth, and by his death on Golgotha. Jesus lived an entirely vulnerable existence. It's why he was born in a cave and not in the local Four Seasons Hotel, where he lived as a wandering preacher with no place to lay his head, where he died a failure hanging between two criminals on a cross of shame. Calvary is a revelation of the vulnerability of authentic love. We Christians should embrace vulnerability not as a liability, Father Keenan says, but as something which establishes for us as human beings the possibility to be relational and therefore moral. Acknowledging our vulnerability makes us more fully human. It transforms how we see ourselves and God and others. It alters our way of being and relating. This is how Keenan puts it. Too many people think of vulnerability as a liability, an obstacle, a burden, a lack of capacity. They think that vulnerability means being wounded, but vulnerability means being able to be wounded. It means being exposed to the other. It means not being protected. Vulnerability is allowing oneself to be at risk in response to others and should not be simply identified or confused with precariousness. If we let the vulnerability of our God enter into our seminaries and our chanceries, he speculates, maybe we could push away some of those allurements that we already know are as banal as they are compromising. Keenan sees a collegial, church-wide, coming to terms with how precisely we should reform our seminaries, our monasteries, our chanceries, and the Vatican. But it would be by vulnerability and not by the smoke and mirrors of hierarchical domination that have already taken the life out of so many. What then would a vulnerable church be like? Or to make it more personal, what would it mean for me to be vulnerable? To be vulnerable as individuals and as church is to take our lead from our vulnerable God who emptied himself, taking the form of a slave. A vulnerable church is one that has a servant priesthood, a servant episcopacy that embraces a top-down culture of service, one that has Jesus' washing of the feet as its guiding principle, one that adopts the Brennan Brothers' motto of at your service, a church that casts off any illusion of grandeur and self-satisfaction. Vulnerability is the opposite of clericalism and hierarchicalism, two toxic cultures in the church that Pope Francis never tires of criticizing. Clericalism is a real perversion in the church, says Pope Francis. 
the very opposite of what Jesus did. Clericalism condemns, separates, beats and despises the people of God. Clericalism confuses priestly service with priestly power. Clericalism, Francis says, is rise and rule. Vulnerability is letting go of pride and arrogance and the desire to be put on pedestals and the idea that father or sister always knows best. It is to be a pilgrim church, the field hospital that Francis speaks about, that tends to the wounded and the hurt, those Jesus held most clear. Pope Francis advises that rather than standing in opposition to or aloof from the world, we need a meek proximity to the people of God. I think that's a lovely phrase, meek proximity to the people of God. Not just meek, but proximate, never distant, never arrogant, never removed. What does it mean for me as a baptized member of the church, a foot soldier in the church, a professed religious, to be vulnerable? The correct definition of a Christian is not a good person, but someone who acknowledges their failure to be good. Someone who is fully aware they are not perfect. Taking my lead from our vulnerable God means first, living in the constant awareness that I am far from the finished article. It is to be servant always seeking to grow in empathy, mercy, and love. It is to be authentic, to let go of the trappings of ego, to use the phrase of Father Richard Rowers, to let go of the trappings of ego, a very, very hard thing to do. It is to be humble, aware of the extent to which I am not perfect, aware of the distance I have to travel to be my best self. It is to risk, to not be afraid of being wounded, to allow myself to be used in whatever way God wishes. It is to trust, to place my absolute trust in God who made me and loves me despite everything praying that God's will will be done and not mine. It is to hope, to hold on to hope. Hope is not the same as optimism. Hope is a choice. Jonathan Sachs says it takes no courage to be an an optimist, but it takes a great deal of courage to hope to hold on to hope. The Hebrew Bible is not an optimistic book, he says, but it is one of the great literatures of hope. We hope. One of the most famous and overused of all 
scripture verses is Micah 6, 8. We know it. Act justly. Love tenderly. Walk humbly with God. The verse may be almost a trope at this stage, but it sums up succinctly what it means to be vulnerable and to follow in the way of our vulnerable God. Act with justice, love with abandon, live in humility. Do that, and we are well on the road to being good disciples. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, I thank you very much.